0: So we're going to spend a few minutes today talking about true discipleship. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, I don't even know if I know how to be a disciple. So, so, because here's, here's the reality. Oftentimes we associate discipleship with baptism, right? Is this mic on? Okay, good. All right. So let me ask that question again. Sometimes, often we associate discipleship with baptism, yes? So. By show of hands, and I want you to be just as honest as the days are long because you're in church. <laughs> how many of you have ever baptized anybody? Literally physically baptized someone. Okay. Okay. Those of you who have not, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> now, I do, I do that on purpose because I want, I want you to think about something. This conversation about discipleship today is about being true disciples. That's what it's about. I don't know if you saw the, the Facebook picture that Mike put online. That picture had nothing to do with the title. Did you see the Facebook, the little ad that he put for my sermon? He had like these disciples with halos over their heads. Did you see that? That has nothing to do with being a true disciple. It was the perfect oxymoron. Do you know what that word means? Sort of kind, of almost. It's like it is, but it isn't. Yes, it is until it's not. It it is not, it's not even close to what this sermon is about, which is perfect. It was a perfect illustration for the sermon, because I want you to realize that so many of us in the church today have a gross misperception about what discipleship is, because we so definitively associate discipleship with someone being baptized. And guess what? I want people to be baptized just as much as you do. But I also want you to realize that discipleship and being a disciple and discipling someone doesn't end with baptism. Okay? Discipleship is just a life style, it's the way that we live, it's the way that we interact with people. And it goes from our head to our heart to our hands. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So two questions I'm going to ask you. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in the luncheon today. And I'll tell you a few things more about the luncheon at the end of the service. So Brandon, where are you? Save me two minutes at the end. I need to talk about it just for a second. But I want to think about this with me just a moment. There are two things. What is the purpose of the church? And what is a disciple? Now all of us Probably if you've been in the church for any number of years at all, and I don't really care what church you've been in. Churches of Christ, Baptist Church, Catholic Church, Mormon Church, whatever church you've been in, you have some definition of what this could be for you based on your experiences and what you've gone through in your church. What is the purpose of the church? And what is a disciple? I'm not going to tell you the answers. I'm going to let you figure that out. Well, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes at the, at the luncheon today because I think it's important for us to recognize for our church at our time in this place, what does it mean to have a purpose for our church? What is it to be a disciple? We're going to talk about that. So Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. How many of you have ever been fishing? Okay, more hands. More hands. That's cool. So I have a story about fishing and it has nothing to do with fish. But it's a story about fishing. A friend of mine, years ago when Lynn and I used to live in Atlanta, there's this interstate that goes around the city. It's called the 285, I-285, 285. Interstate 285. It's just a big loop. It's like 68 miles around the thing, and it's like the Autobahn in the south. Because if you're driving on the 285, and if you're not doing 85 or 90 miles an hour, you're going to get killed or cause someone else to get killed because that's just how fast people drive on that, on that freeway. And it's just a big loop. And they could do the Indy 500 there. And they really wouldn't go much faster than any cars that are on the road today. But I had a friend that was driving on that road one day. Rush hour traffic, people are driving like crazy, in and out, weaving in and out, flying by one another. And he gets pulled over by a police officer. (laughs) And the officer walks up to his car and he says, sir, may I have your registration and insurance? And he hands it to him. And he he said, do you have any, and he's writing a ticket out. He's just sitting there, do you have any idea how fast you're going? And, the, and my friend said, yeah, I was doing about 78 miles an hour. He said, sir, do you know the speed limit here? He's posted speed limit. He said, yes, sir, the posted speed limit is 55. This is going to be a serious ticket. And the young man asked me, he said, officer, can I ask you a question? He said, certainly. And he's still writing, filling out his ticket. He said, there were three cars that passed me, and you pulled me over. He's writing out the ticket, and the officer Without, without even looking up from his ticket book, he's still writing, he said, son, have you ever gone fishing? And the guy says, well, yeah, I've gone fishing. And the officer, without even looking up or cracking his smile, he said, did you catch them all? <laughs> <laughs> did you catch them all? I have a fishing pole on my boat, and occasionally I will go fishing. And the way that I fish in my boat is I put some kind of bait on the end of the line and I just leave it laying there, hanging there, because there's just not enough room for me to cast or anything, so I just leave it hanging there. And I have on occasion caught fish. And in the three years that I've had a boat over at, at Wilmington, at Long Beach, I've caught one fish in three years. It was a sea bass about this long. <laughs> in three years, when I lived in San Diego on my boat, I used to catch sharks this long. I broke three, no, two deep sea rods on the back of my boat in San Diego. I don't know what lives in the bay in San Diego, but they don't live in the bay in Wilmington in San Pedro, which makes me feel better about where I'm at. Fishing is something that's exciting for little kids. It's even exciting for older guys. I remember a fishing trip that Don Lawson and I took down. We went down to Ensenada and we chartered a boat one time. He and his son and I think, Ken, I think it was your son Chris went with us on that trip. The four of us went down, we chartered a boat. and We went out like 2 o'clock in the morning, deep sea fishing off the coast of Mexico, Baja down there. And and from like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, we start fishing until late in the afternoon. We didn't catch a single fish. Not one fish did we catch. And then we're motoring back in and into the bay there in Ensenada. We run on a school of not very nice, not very good to eat tuna. And we filled our coolers with what I call black tuna. I don't know what they call them, but they're like the scummy tuna. They're not supposed to be very good. But I figured out how to cook them and it was really good. (laughs) You never know what you're going to catch. And as a disciple, it's not about the catching. It's about the fishing. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. And so there are three things we're going to look at. Number one, you've got to realize that you have to follow Him. There's this decision, there's a head decision, there's a mental decision that you and I make, that anyone will ever make, to follow Jesus, to be His disciple, to to be His servant. And then there's this thing that happens because once it gets in your head, God willing, with some transformation stuff that goes on, being around the Word, being around His people, being in the Word, there's this transformation that goes on and it moves from your head into your heart. You ever heard that expression? I want it to go from your head to your heart. Well, that's what happens with us if we really get this discipleship thing. And then if it really impacts our heart in a significant way, what happens is then we begin to use our hands to serve other people. And it's a process. It's a simple process. And that's the description of a disciple that I want you to see. That's what I want us to talk about. So the first part of this whole thing is just deciding to follow Jesus. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. You know, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. And did you know that wherever you are, Jesus is with you? I heard a gentleman give a presentation some years ago and he made this statement and it stuck with me and I try to reflect upon it often because it gives me strength and hope for the days. He says, if you knew who walks beside you every day on the path that you have chosen, you would never fear. Because you see, with all of my heart, and I hope with all of your heart, I've made the decision to follow Christ. And my heart is confirmed within me that Jesus and His Spirit are with me always. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He said, I have to go away though so that the Father can send the Spirit who will guide you into all things. And God and His Spirit through His Holy Spirit are with us constantly where I am. My servant will also be. The invitation indicates our acceptance of Jesus, his authority, and what he wants us to do. And then he makes these statements. Anyone, anyone who will love me and will obey my teaching. Now, let's just stop and reflect on that just a moment. There are a few of us who lived in homes growing up as a child who had parents that were a little domineering. You remember those days? Your father ever tell you this, son, if you're going to live in my house, you're going to live by my rules. You ever hear that? And if you don't want to live by our rules, you don't have to live in my house. Do do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you reflect on that. You know what I'm saying? If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to be willing to do what he says to do. It's as simple as that. It isn't very complicated. Honestly, it's on about a third or fourth grade level. It's not very hard. We should be willing to obey him. My father will love them, we'll come to him, we'll make our home with him. They want to live with you. They want to be with you. They want to stay with you. That's what God promised us. If you knew who walked beside you every day on the path that you've chosen, you would never have to be afraid. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. Take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save the life will lose it. Whoever loses their life, For me will find it. What good will it be for someone again? The whole world yet forfeit his soul. Who and what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He doesn't ask for much. He just asks for it all. He just asks for it all. And that's a mental decision that we make. In the adult class this morning, we were talking a little bit from the book of Acts. We looked at some things about the earliest days of the church and how that they were living in Jerusalem right after the, 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 the Holy Spirit coming upon them the day of Pentecost. And, and there were some amazing things happening among the people there because they were selling all the stuff that they had and they were sharing with one another. And the conclusion that we kind of came to is they were doing that because they expected Jesus to show up like tonight. I mean, he just arose and they were living in an anxious anticipation that he was coming Right now, he was coming back. And they were expecting him because they were still looking for that earthly kingdom thing. And they really thought he was still going to come back and overthrow Rome and he was going to be the ruler and king. And that's kind of where they were living. Well, guess what? We're a couple of thousand years almost removed from that day. And he hasn't come back. So the challenge for me and for you and for those who are around us is how do we live in that anxious anticipation that Jesus is coming? How do we live there? How do we live expecting that Christ is going to come back at any moment? He's going to come and he's going to show up. He's going to come back riding on a white horse because that's what Revelation says he's going to do. Which is a little weird. But that's what it says. How do we live in that expectation? And one of the brothers in the class says, well, I have an idea. You never know when you're going to die. Any of you know the day and the hour and the time that you're going to pass from this world? What if it's before you get home today? I remember when I was in college, I think, I went home for college one summer and I was sitting in the church building and, and Brother Prince, I think it was in college, might have been high school, Brother Jack Prince was in the auditorium. My dad was preaching and he's sitting like right over there about where Colin is sitting. And all of a sudden Brother Prince goes, uh. And he had a heart attack and he died right there. Kind of weird, huh? Now if you're going to die in the church is a good place. I'm just saying, maybe we should have more services more often so that you'd have greater opportunity, but but I'm just saying, if you're going to die, this would be a good place to do it, in the church building, okay? But we never know when we're going to die. None of us knows the hour of the day. We just don't know. Now, some of us may be given at some point in our future, we've had loved ones who've been given some some prediction from a doctor that says, oh, you have so many months or so many years because you have this ailment and it's going to take you out, guess what? We all have an ailment. We're all leaving here someday. We just don't know when. So if we want to try to live in that anxious anticipation of when Jesus is coming back, maybe we could start by just thinking about, you know what, I don't know when I'm going to die, so let me reevaluate how I'm living today because I don't even know if I have this afternoon or tomorrow and let's see how that affects how I'm dealing and working and talking with people today. It's just a thought. Just a thought. He says, I will make you. This is where he starts transforming you into something. He says, if you follow me, if you follow me, then I will make you. How many of you like to be made to do anything? See, my wife's not in here. I can say this. She's preparing lunch for us tomorrow. So we're at In-N-Out Burger yesterday. Some of you know what In-N-Out Burger is, right? Yeah. So I decide I'm going to eat a hamburger protein style. You know what that is? It's when they wrap that thing in lettuce. But I forgot, I forgot to tell them to leave off the sauce. Now have you ever had a sloppy, saucy, runny hamburger slapped between two pieces of lettuce? Have you ever tried to eat that? I got about two-thirds of the way through that thing and I was ready to throw it in the floor. Because it was all over me, it was all over the table, it was all over everything except where it was supposed to be in my mouth. Because I couldn't get it in there because it kept sliding out of my hands. And I got frustrated. And I was yelling at my hamburger and Lynn started talking to me. In a way that only the wife can speak to her husband. And then, and then, she had the audacity to put her finger on my hamburger. She said, you have to eat this. Or something like that. I don't even remember exactly what she said. There was a moment of transformation <laughs> and she got my attention and I was mad as a hornet. I was, I was mad as a hornet because I was annoyed at myself from buying this crazy burger this way and then not telling them to leave off the sauce. Transformation happens in all different kinds of ways. God transforms us and she wanted to make me take her sandwich and I'm like, no, because you have the same thing I do. And it'll just be messy again. We don't like being told what to do. And when when God makes us into something, when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, he's not telling you that he's going to force you. He's going to hog tie you, as they say in Alabama, where they're going to tie you up, make you do something. He's not going to do that. But he's going to put things in your life on a regular, constant basis that will allow you to become a different person than you used to be. Think about your life right now. Think about your walk with God. Think about, if, if, and I know some of you have to remember a really long time ago, but, but some of you don't. But I want you to remember what life was like before Jesus. What life was like before you had a real commitment to Him. What life was like before He really controlled your heart and your mind. And then I want you to think about some of the things that you had to experience and go through that He allowed you to experience so you could be changed because that's why he allows things to happen to us. You remember the story of Job? Great family, pretty wealthy man, things are going great. What could go wrong in my life? And then Satan goes before the Lord and says, oh, let me me have my way, let me do a few things with Job. God says, okay, no problem. He didn't say it exactly that way, but he gives him permission. And he starts messing with Job. And there's this whole long story about all the things that happen. I'm telling you, God still allows things that are difficult for us to happen in our lives so that we can become a better person and be changed even more and more into his likeness. Do you remember Jesus one time spoke to Peter, said, Peter, Satan is wanting to... Sift you like wheat and i pray prayed that you will be able to withstand. Do you think that doesn't happen with you? Sometimes we look at the horrible, no good, very bad things that have happened in our lives and wonder, why is this happening to me? Why did I ever deserve to do this? How could a loving God allow this to happen to me? Because He loves you. He does it because He loves you. The Bible says a father who loves his child will discipline his child and if he doesn't discipline the child he doesn't love the, if he doesn't discipline the child he doesn't love him and God allows some of these things to happen to us so we can become the person he needs us to be and every time that you go through something that's difficult and hard i want you to remember this and i want you to think about this the reason that God is allowing this to happen to me right now is because get this there's something worse coming later And if he doesn't get me ready for this now, I can't handle what's coming later. We think it's because he's no good for nothing, non-loving God. How could a God that loves us let all this? No, it's because he does love you. If he loves you, he allows you to be disciplined. He allows hard things to happen. And he allows those things to happen because he knows in his infinite wisdom there's something coming later. Because Satan is trying to sift you like wheat. He's trying to destroy you. And God knows if you're not ready for that. He will sift you like wheat. And you will deny him. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is his freedom man, do we have some freedom. God isn't gonna make us do anything. But if we understand what's going in our mind, if we understand this head decision that we've made, and we begin to experience some of these transformational things in our heart, then what's happening here is God is doing some amazing things because He says, where the Spirit where the spirit is, there's freedom. When we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, and that shouldn't be a new expression to you, you should know what that means, and are being transformed into His image with increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed, we are being changed. And the more that we're around Christ, the more that we hear the Word, the more that we engage with people, the more that we act like we're believers and disciples, guess what? The more we become like Jesus, have any of you noticed that you're just like your dad now? Have you noticed that you're just like your mother? And you may not even like those attributes, but you're just like her. My sister was in town last week. And on more than one or two occasions, she reminded me, oh, you're just like dad. And I'm like, and I resemble that. And some of that I was happy for some of it, not so much. But I'm telling you guys, when you and I are around the Father, when we're living life in the life of discipleship, He makes us into something else. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My Father's a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. We had the opportunity just this week to drive through Paso Robles, California. You ever been there? You know, I don't know why. They, what, what is, I don't even know what Paso Robles means in Spanish. It's got to mean grapevines. It's gotta mean grapevines because that's all that's up there for miles and miles and miles we drove south from from Carmel down toward Paso Robles on the 101 and for literally miles all you could see on the hillside was grapevines and somebody somebody's plural have pruned those things to the nub and there's nothing left there's nothing left but the stalk coming out of the ground and very few little branches going out. But you know what's gonna happen in the next few weeks? From the nutrients of the soil, all of these little branches are gonna start spreading out. And on all of those little branches that start spreading out, little little round things are gonna pop up there. And before you know it, it turns into little green things. And before you know it, it turns into real grapes. And then eventually they get ripe. And there's an amazing harvest. Guys, we're not any different. We're not any different. If God doesn't prune us occasionally, we can't bear more fruit. We just can't. And some of us need some serious pruning. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. That's a blessing. That is truly a blessing. If you don't Prune the grapevine. It never bears any more fruit. So praise God when the pruning comes. Thank him for taking you through whatever it is that he decides to take you through to get you ready to bear more fruit. It's a good thing. Discipleship involves transformation at the deepest levels of our understanding, our affection, and our will. And the Holy Spirit is what brings that. It's his spirit that's with us. And then the cool thing is, He truly does make us fishers of men. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and has raised again. So from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now think about that just a minute. When you go wherever it is that you go this afternoon, to the restaurant, to the park, to the beach, home to watch TV, whatever it is that you do this afternoon. When you see people, whomever it is that you see, when you look at them, what will you really see? A person who needs God and Christ or just a person? Will you see someone that somewhere, somehow, some way, you could perhaps share something that will bring them a little bit closer to Jesus? Or do you see someone who just annoyed you because they did X, whatever X is? A true disciple is a person who realizes three things. Number one, there's a decision in our minds, our acceptance of Christ and our willingness to follow Him. The second thing that happens is it moves into our hearts. And it's not just this mental decision. You know, there's left brain and right brain people. You know what I'm talking about? The left brain are, are they the scientists or the arts guys? What? Scientists. scientists are left brain guys, and the right brain guys are the artist guys or ladies, right? Well, God's right in the middle. He's vibranial. Because <laughs> He can impact us all. Because I know some of you in the room, you're like engineer types. And you're nerds. I don't mean that in a bad way. You're like the the computer nerdy geeky guys. And that's great. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't have lights. And computers to broadcast this phenomenal PowerPoint and to put it on live stream. And that some of you can't even turn on a computer. And that's okay. But you can do amazing things in talking to people in relationship and, and being with them. That's the heart It extends to the heart, showing us not only our need for a Savior, but drawing us into relationship with other people. And that, guys, is what it's all about. And then comes the hands. Because once you made the decision and it's affected your heart, then you get to be like the apostles. You cannot help but speak about him. And then whether you're at work, or whether you're at play, or whether you're in a restaurant, there's just something about you, and there's something about your conversation that is always coming back to why you are who you are. And I'm not talking about quoting scripture in the teacher's lounge. And I'm not talking about reading verses of scripture in ha- or, or posting them in little post it notes on the cubicle at your office. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that the manner of your life. The voice, the conversation, the expressions of care, the expressions of concern that you have all the time with anyone, that is being a disciple. And I'm here to offer to you that every one of us in this room, whether you raised your hands because you have physically baptized somebody or not, all of us can be disciples. Because it's not about the baptizing. It's about showing people Jesus. And it's about living a life in such a way that people just see you and they see something that's just a little bit different in you. And it causes them Sometimes consternation, they're a little uncertain. They don't know who you are and what you are. They don't understand your motives. Or it brings relief, it brings comfort, it brings joy to them because you're a person that reaches out and can build that relationship. But I'm offering to you that all of us in this room are already doing discipleship. We're already doing it. And I'm here to give you permission to do it more because all it means is that you have a heart for Christ is that you have a heart for people. And when you see people, you don't just see a person, but you see a person who truly is in need of a Savior. And however casual, or however formal, or however religious, or however non-religious the conversation is, in your heart of hearts, everything that you do is centered in Christ. Everything. We've been saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to be fishers of men. Now I know, I know. We won't catch them all. We just won't. Because not everyone wants to hear. Not everyone's interested. But I do know this. You can't fish if you don't have a line in the water. You just can't. I will never catch a fish sitting on the back of my boat if I never drop a line in the water. And the only line in the water that you and I have is how we live our life and how we care about people and how concerned we are with them and what's going on in their life. And in genuine, heartfelt conversation, we open our heart and our hands to help them in whatever way is appropriate at the time. And in the process of helping them, we guide them closer to Jesus. That's it. That's the sermon. That's how simple discipleship is. So I want you to think with me for just a moment about how you're living your life. And if you're capable and if your arm is limber enough to do it, just reach right back here and just pat yourself right on the back of the neck. Because you've been doing discipleship already. We've just been living in a culture that is so bound and determined. that If you're going to disciple someone, you got to get them baptized that we that we fail to see that we're doing it. And I'm here to offer to you that you're already doing it. You are fishers of men. You are being transformed in the likeness of Jesus. You are living for him every day. Some of us more effectively than others. Big deal. You ever been trout fishing? Do you know how hard it is to catch rainbow trout? If you're not that quick with the rod, you'll never catch a rainbow trout because that's about how quick they snap at the line. And if you don't catch them in that little moment, you ain't never going to catch a rainbow trout. Ever been fishing for catfish? Sit there all day, man. When they take a bite on it, yeah, you can wait a while because they're going to swallow it all. That's just what they do. You won't catch them all, but you got to be in the game. You got to be a around people and talking with people and just loving on people. Just be nice to people, love on them. Let them know who you are, what you're all about. They'll come around, they'll come around as they come around. Because you can't make anybody do anything. In moments like these, I sing out a song, I sing out a love song to Jesus. In all of the moments of your life, I invite you to do that. Because Jesus is the reason, not just for the Christmas season. He's the reason for today. He's our reason for living. Come on up. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to consider your walk with Jesus. If you've never made the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and put him on in baptism, we can do that today. The water's here. But for the many of us who are here who have been baptized believers for so many, many years, I invite you to consider the commitment that you want to make in your life today today to carry Jesus with you always and to be transformed even more and more into his likeness. Let's sing this song and encourage one another. If we can help you, let us know as we sing. In moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing out a love song to Jesus. In moments like these, I lift up my voice. I lift up my voice.